Welcome to Peak Health Unlocked, a docu-series show interviewing experts to unpack the latest science, technology, and wellness practices, all with the purpose of helping you unlock your peak health. This show would not be possible without the support of Thrive Performance and Regenerative Medicine, a team prepared to go all in to craft your personalized peak health plan. Visit the link in the show notes to start your health transformation. Enjoy the show. With nearly three decades of experience in the medical world, Dr. Tina Moore is a leading expert in holistic, regenerative medicine and resilient health. Traditionally and alternatively trained in science and medicine as both a naturopathic physician and chiropractor, she brings a unique perspective to those wishing to build a more robust foundation in their health and well-being. She is also an author, podcast host, speaker, kettlebell devotee, mother, and all-around animal lover. All right, Dr. Tina Moore in the house. We've been waiting for this for so long, so we're very, very honored that you are here. Um, so we're going to start off with the same question that all our other guests have gotten in this immunity docu-series, and that is, what is your personal definition of immunity? Well, thank you guys for having me. I'm very excited, and I, I'm thankful that you pestered me a, a little because I was getting a little of the doldrums, and I was getting under or behind the curve, so you guys kept me honest and got me back on here. Um, we weren't going to take no for an answer. <laughs> I appreciate it. I, yeah, I just was getting inundated. So my, my personal definition of immunity, I think that would just mean that all systems are orchestrating properly. So, you know, my front line, my back line, the, the communication pathway between the two, between my, you know, my innate and my adaptive system, and then making sure that I balance my life with strategic hormetic stressors instead of letting stress destroy my immune system slowly. So that's, that's kind of what I go for. Awesome. Yeah. And, and for our listeners, I just want to let you guys know, we had a full podcast offline right before this podcast. So some of these questions may seem a little redundant to Dr. Tina, but why don't we just start with asking you a little bit about the history of how you came into practice. I know you're uh, double boarded, you got a lot of things going on and you are very skilled in several different type of treatments that we are excited about. So maybe just a little bit about your history before we get started. Sure. So I am a naturopathic physician and I am a chiropractor. I finished both of those concurrently. It really, my heart being with uh, first and foremost with chiropractics because I had been raised as a patient of chiropractics. And my chiropractors were honestly, as a really sick kid going through the system and being like pounded with antibiotics and procedures, my chiropractors were the only doctors that ever stopped and talked to me and answered my questions and helped me more than just sort of shuttling me through their office. And then I was actually, I was completely dead set on becoming an MD and I had I had organized my life around that, and I was working up at Oregon Health Sciences University in undergrad in the Alzheimer's and dementia clinic, and I realized quickly, that was in like 94, 95, I realized quickly where HMOs were going, and the amount of time doctors were allowed to spend in the room with a patient was atrociously short at that time even, and so my heart kind of broke, and I came home with my bachelor's degree from U of O, feeling defeated. And then I met my mentor, Rick Marinelli, who was a naturopathic physician. I had no idea what that was, and I went and became his receptionist, and I started watching him in action. And at that time, in the early '90s, early to mid '90s, he was doing prolotherapy, he was doing chelation, IV chelation, and IV nutrients. Um, he was acupuncture as well. He was doing everything, and he would run four rooms at a time and just transform people's lives. And it was amazing to watch. And so I decided years later to do both. <laughs> so here we are. And I, I dedicated my practice eventually to all regenerative medicine. And fortunately, you know, it, it got popular. I was a little bit in front of the curve. So it was really hard to explain it to people and, and get people to understand that how awesome it was. And now it seems to be much more commonplace, which is exciting. And I'm glad that people are being exposed to it. Um, but I wrapped all of that up in about 2018, 2019 and closed my practice and I'm doing other things now. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. Well, yeah, if you don't follow her, you need to, cause she's, and you can see all the many things that she's doing, but she's a big voice for, 
what we believe is is one of the most important things, and that's informed consent. So if you listen to her, she'll say she's not pro this or, or uh, anti this, but she's pro informed consent. And I think you're one of the pioneers that's out there that's really pushing on people taking control of their own health. And what we're seeking to do with in, in our own practice and thrive is empower patients. And so we follow your lead and a lot of things that you put out there, you're, you're just, you're leading the charge and it's impressive. Thank you. I'm trying. I feel really strongly that, well, we saw, you know, if we didn't see this coming, if we didn't see some kind of health catastrophe coming and crashing on our shores, you know, a decade ago, we weren't paying attention, really. I mean, this has been so apparently coming. And totally. and you guys are, I don't know how old you are, but I'm guessing you're closer to my age. I remember growing up when there was very little obesity, and you didn't see people so incapacitated that they needed to ride around in on carts. I mean, no disrespect, but like we, we have really come a long ways towards the movie Wally. And I have been talking about that when I speak at conferences for well over a decade and people would always take so much offense to it. I was like, we're going to hit some global health crisis. I feel firmly that this virus is real and I know that it is impacting people negatively, but I just think as a species, we are too sickly to handle what would otherwise be a far more benign insult. I, I don't think it is a benign insult, but I think in modern humans across the globe, it is a catastrophe because we are not well enough to handle it. When I think maybe our grandparents' generation, probably it wouldn't have been this big of a mess. Yeah. And also, you know, you asked the question, well, if we're getting smarter as a society and the technology is getting better, are we getting healthier? And I think that the data shows that we're not right. Um, you know, I posted something on my Instagram the other day and, I th- and the caption was the prescription to end all prescriptions. And it was, it was literally all of the things that you can do in your life that don't cost much getting out in the sun, you know, ancestral wisdom, grounding, that kind of stuff that's basically free. And I actually got a little, some pushback on it, you know, like, Oh, what are you trying to say that, you know, you don't need all of the advanced, uh, you know, technologies and medicines that modern medicine, I mean, I'm the doctor and they were giving me pushback on that. So the problem is, is that I think that we also have to push back on that stigma that necessarily as we go through and, and, and have this really technologically advanced future, it may not necessarily be better, right? The, the, uh, you know, Franken foods and all that kind of stuff that we're being exposed to. I just don't understand how we got so off course. I don't know. My, my background was in animal behaviorism. And so I pay attention to what animals do. So yesterday I'm walking with my fiance and there's a hawk and it's harassing a bird's nest. You can tell. And this little bird makes all this horrible screeching noise and chases the hawk out of there, which was quite impressive. And it was doing so very aggressively with like very aggressive, fast wing flaps, you know, just chasing the hawk out of town. And the hawk ends up across the field and he's gone. And the bird turns around to return to its nest and it starts doing these, you can tell it had just used up all its ATP. It had used up all its reserves, if you will. And it was doing these long, slow, big breaststrokes to get back to the nest, just like you would in the pool, right? The difference between like a frantic freestyle stroke and then just like a whoosh breaststroke. And they're, they're two different beasts and they're for different uses. And I said to him, I said, you know, it's so weird to me and like mind boggling that as human beings, if you ask any human being on the planet, is a wild animal that lives out in the wild, is its physical, is its life dependent on its level of physicality? We would all agree. Yes. Like that animal has to be healthy in order to survive. If it's got a bad leg or it's got um, a compromised immune system or whatever, it's not going to make it very far at all. And in fact, its pack or its herd will probably leave it behind if it can't keep up. And yet human beings have completely ditched that idea that their health and their longevity and their survival is based on their level of physicality. Like it just absolutely <laughs> blows my mind. Absolutely. Like, I actually, yeah, I told a client this just yesterday and, and Philip was reminding me that um, I said to her, I was like, look, cells or bodies that aren't in motion die right? So you get, you know, you get sick, you go to the hospital, they put you in a bed, you become immobile and you do worse. So, I mean, that's an even acute situation where what you're saying is exactly true, right? And I didn't want to ask you this so quickly off the bat because we have other questions, but I really, uh, you know, I was listening to another podcast, your philosophy on movement and quality of life is absolutely amazing. It's spot on. Can you just touch on that? I know you were talking about that on another podcast, but I'd like to hear that again. 
Yeah. So thank you. I think that your best, and I said this in the beginning of the pandemic and I, you know, that I don't know where you guys found me in there, but I made a video. I had like 14,000 followers that I worked so hard and so long to get. And then I made a video, it went viral and boom, I wake up the next morning with like 30,000 something extra followers. And, and it's just grown from there. And so, and I made a commitment the day that happened. I was like, you know what? I didn't really believe in God until that moment. And I was like, God wants me to have a voice. Like he wants my voice to be heard. So I'm going to show up every single day. I'm going to commit to showing up every single day through this pandemic. So it's been a ride. Like it's been a, like just show up every day and take bullets and put on your suit of armor. And one of the first things I said out the gate was like, you guys, you got to get strong. You have to put muscle on because it is your insurance against everything. And people pushed back so hard on me and called me a million different names and accused me of being a million different horrible things just for saying that. And I was like, again, with this physicality thing, but muscle mass in and of itself is the solution for so many for so for all of our ills. And no, like, like you said, Oh, well, if people just do this, then they don't need this. It's not black and white, like give me the emergency medicine and give me good health, right? Like give me the solid foundation of health and thank God for pharmaceuticals and for emergency medicine and interventions when I need them, because that's why it doesn't have to be one or the other. But I think if you go into anything with poor muscle mass, you are doomed. And now we have the literature. It's like we had to wait a year to get the literature to say that frailty was probably the biggest risk factor, even, even above, you know, frailty and lack of muscle mass and lack of having exercised in the two years prior to the pandemic are like bigger risk factors than even extreme old age or organ transplants. So like being an unfit or being not in good physicality is the kiss of death if COVID comes knocking, in my opinion. And so, and I knew this because I had suffered from chronic viral infections my whole life. And I had, I am a long hauler and I had been so sick that by the time I hit my late, like 39, 40 years old, I ended up with a, I was in my second divorce, third, if you want to be really technical, and it was to a much younger man, and he was in really great shape, and I wasn't, and I was like, I mean, I was thin, but I was just like, so thin, I thought, you know, I would shatter if I fell over, probably early onset osteoporosis, I could feel it, and I remember when he left, I was like, I'm going to start lifting weights like he did, because that really made him happy, and I think I'll give it a try, because I don't know what else to do, I've had every therapy under the sun, I can't seem to clear this chronic cytomegalovirus thing, I can't seem to get my, you know, vitality back. So I'm going to build it. And I'm going to build, I'm going to start eating. I'd always been anorexic and bulimic and eating disordered. And I was like, I'm going to eat and I'm going to lift weights and I'm going to see what happens. And within a few, like not even a year, I mean, the results were tremendous. And then within a few years, especially mitigating my stress, you know, it's, I'm like a different human being completely. So I think that being physically fit is non-negotiable and we're humans. Like we're mammals. We're just fancy mammals with opposable thumbs. (laughs) We're just, I don't know why. And we have this awesome hinge system that obviously is built to lift things. Like that is why we are a bunch of levers and hinges. So why, and our spine, I always think of you guys will like this. I think of our spine as like hydraulic lift. And so, you know, if Mm -hmm. you're not and the appendages just come really are dependent on the strength of the spine. So if the spine's not strong, these appendages are going to take a ton of wear and tear and you're going to have a bunch of extremity injuries. And if you take care of that hydraulic lift and you don't let it break down, um, you are, and if you use regenerative therapies instead of surgery, when you do need some help in the spinal area, which I need a ton of always, but that's how you, that's it. Like that's the core I think to staying healthy. And we've, we've got a society full of degenerating spines and hips and knees. And everyone was saying, Oh, well, that's the only bad thing about being overweight. And we've got all this other literature to support the what you know, if someone wants to come at me, it's not fat shaming that I'm trying to get out ever have been trying to get out about this. But like, if, if you're walking around with a layer of fat cells that are cytokine factories, and you have no muscle mass underneath there, and you're on five pharmaceuticals, and you eat, you know, the standard American diet, and you think you're going to be okay, like, you got another thing coming. That's not going to work, you know. Oh, failure right there for sure. Yeah, and I and I, I'm really upset that it's almost taboo to tell someone like, "Hey, it, you should get physically fit. Like, you need to be physically fit." Yes, there's there's a couple ways to deliver that, and we're not talking about shaming in any sense, but it should not be taboo to tell someone like, "Hey, putting on a little bit of muscle is good for you." 
Well, and it makes your natural killer cells work. That's what no one, and I haven't gone into this on Instagram because I really don't feel like dealing with the fallout and all the questions that are going to come from it. But to me, it's like, if your natural killer cells work, then you are going to meet the enemy at the door instead of letting the enemy in to proliferate. And hopefully your immune system catches it because that's what's happening, right? I mean, you guys have probably seen this much more because I wasn't seeing patients through this, but it's like, I'm hearing that day, you know, nine to 14 is kind of the critical zone when people's, you know, the, the virus has been let in, it's now proliferating, it's sort of ninja bypassed the first line, and it's proliferating. And then the immune system finally is like, Oh, shit, we have a problem here. And it throws every all the cytokines at it. And now you get the cytokine storm and the poor person just falls apart at that point. And that's when they tend to go into a more critical situation from what I'm hearing. And that's, that's because their immune system isn't working right. And so I'm trying to do everything to have that. I think of the natural killer cells as like the bouncer at the door. He might let a few in, you know, if they flirt with them or whatever, (laughs) but it's not going to turn into a total nightmare. And how are we not talking about any of this? Right. How, how is, I kept thinking common sense would prevail and that these basic concepts Mm -hmm. would come out. And yet, even my own profession as a whole, and not all of them, I can't say all of them, but as a whole, my profession has abandoned our root core principles of teaching people how to be healthy at the base level, like build a solid foundation, and then you're not as prone to any kind of infection. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's why we wanted to bring you on the podcast is uh, that there's a narrative that's not being spoken about. And that's about obesity, metabolic dysfunction, diabetes, hypertension, lack of vitamin D, all these things that contribute to a worse outcome. And both Dr. Langley and myself, we, we work as anesthesiologists part of the time. Uh, and we work in a hospital that was a COVID hospital. And we're called to innovate these people once they've hit that point where they're starting to crump. And I would say my estimation from all the rooms that I've been is about as high as 90% Every one of those patients was obese and the other 10% were old, elderly, frail. So there's no, there's no denying that and seeing it firsthand on the front lines, every person that we're taking care of fits that bill and it's unfortunate. So we feel like it's our duty to let's bring what is reality to the forefront and let's talk about it and let's talk about it in a way so we can get people educated so they can start taking care of themselves. So like you said, so you're talking about fitness. And so one of the things that we talk about is it doesn't even have to be fancy. Just get out and walk like 10,000 steps a day. There's a huge study showing that that's a decrease in all cause mortality. The one of the things that, you know, we subscribe and you subscribe, I always hear you talking about this is lift heavy things. So we're designed to do that. So walk and lift heavy things. It doesn't have to be uh, very complex. Yeah, you practice what you do. <laughs> Didn't you train with the KGB or something? Don't you have a specialized uh, certification that oh, in kettlebells? Oh, the kettlebell. Well, okay. So I was working towards it. Uh, it's strong first, which is like the KGB kettlebell system. I, well, I was supposed to actually test for that and I haven't yet. Um, I started having some orthopedic issues this winter. I think it was... I think the stress finally got to me and I wasn't walking very much because I live on this farm that turned to mud. The whole thing turned to mud. It turns into like, we're like on the, not the lowlands, but we're on the flatlands. And I didn't realize what a, I mean, a lot of water comes up and we end up in a big muddy swamp if I, and I didn't get out for my walks. And just in the last two weeks, the sun has come back out and I've been walking a lot more, but yes, that's been put on hold, but I can, you know, I went from not being able to lift an eight kilo kettlebell, which is like 16 point something pounds to being able to snatch a 16 kilo kettlebell for a hundred reps. Like it's crazy, but that took me five or six years. And that's the argument everyone says, well, Dr. Tina, we can't just fix obesity and people being deconditioned overnight. And I'm like, we've had over a year, people. Like we've had over a year. And if somebody had said something from the beginning, like I was trying to, if, if, if they had just, instead of trying to squash the helpers, if they'd actually put us on a platform or put us on the news, if they, if this really was about health, in my opinion, we would have heard from people like me talking about this. There would have been mandated exercise. We would not have closed the gyms. They did everything the opposite. And it's mind blowing to me that people have bought into this and don't seem to understand that 
whether you, and I'm not, I'm not anti-vax. I, in fact, I was talking to my mother. My mother is anti getting this. She's anti the whole thing. She thinks this is all a bunch of BS. She's a funny little feisty <laughs> lady. Um, but she, she, I was like, mom, you know, it might not be a bad idea for you. And I was trying to tell her why. And my argument was sound. My argument is that vaccines don't work well and we don't have to get into vaccines, but they don't work well on the same group of people who are also the most at risk for dying from this virus. It's the same exact group. And we have all the literature from the flu and from other viruses that if you are obese, sickly, elderly, um, in general, just malnourished, you are not going to respond favorably to vaccines and they're not going to work that great. I do not think this plan is going to work. I do not think the current plan and the current trajectory we're on is going to work. We're already seeing breakthrough cases in large quantities in India and we're seeing it in different parts of the world. And so I think irregardless of which path a person chooses, that is their prerogative and I support them, but they have to be healthy going into either for it. And also to avoid, if you go into either the, the virus or a vaccine, any vaccine, in an inflamed, uh, degenerating, pro-inflammatory, like cytokine like you're sitting there maybe on the edge of autoimmune or you're sitting there on the edge of just chronically inflamed, you're going to have a really profound response potentially to whatever it is that comes your way in a not so positive, with a not so positive outcome. So if maybe you want the vaccine and you just don't want to have a bad reaction, get healthy, right? Get in shape. Yeah. And then, you know, it leads me to what I was going to ask you is um, it, how cool is it to have a voice on social media? And I think it's different for physicians. You know, we're not trying to be social crusaders. You're actually trying to spread health and wellness to maybe save some people, save some lives. I mean, and truly, you could say that at this point, we're saving lives. So can you speak to, you know, how it is after you immediately had over 30,000 followers and now you have that voice and you get pushback on a certain narrative or how's that experience been for you? Yeah. The gnashing of teeth and the vitriol thrown your way. It's been crazy. Oh my gosh. I think that it would have killed a, a it would have killed a muggle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to say it. Like I, I feel like I was built for this. Well, I was always kind of on the outskirts. I was always on the honor roll and I was always really smart in school and I was always very scholastic, but I was also like punk rock and had short hair and wore combat boots. And so I never really fit in. And I, I was popular, but I was also, I also took a lot of shit growing up and I moved a lot. And so I feel like I've kind of always been fighting for my place in this world or just like fighting for my side. And I've, and I'm an Aquarius to the core, meaning I just, I have the biggest heart in the world. I care about everybody way, way, way more than I should. And at the same time, I just do not give a shit. So it's, I can't explain the dichotomy, but that is how I've approached it. Feels good, don't it? <laughs> Feels <laughs> good, right? Better as you get older, right? Like after 40, you're just like, but I, so I just, I knew I am on a mission and I, I feel like a ton of people have died unnecessarily. I know that's a controversial thing to say, but I feel like there could have been so much more done by the powers that be. And I'm pointing my finger directly at the governments at this point, um, that people could have been better informed because I have, as you, I'm sure have as well, I've worked in community clinics and low income, uh, areas and people are not stupid. Human beings in general are intelligent, autonomous creatures. And when you give them the information to empower them and help them, it is up to them to take it into their own hands. But I'm done with the, every time I tried to post anything for the first nine months, I was called racist. I was called elitist. I was called, you know, everybody wanted to bring up food deserts and bring up poverty and bring up this and that. And I did the math and of the population of America that is obese or overweight, which is the majority of the country, only about 25% of those people would perhaps, and that's a very generous estimate, would not have the means to change their circumstances. Wow. The bulk have the means to change their circumstances. They're choosing not to. But when I have told people across, it doesn't matter their age or their gender or their, um, you know, any, it doesn't matter. It, when they want to get better, they get better, right? When you give them the tools and we have not provided, our country and many others have not provided the tools necessary for people, I feel, to get through this help, you know, in a, in a good way. But being online, it has calmed down. It was horrible. It was really, really, really crazy every day. And then I was being, very early on, there was actually a smear campaign against health and wellness uh, influencers online that were white. And we were called, we were associated with some fringe 
um, political groups. And like, it got very weird. I didn't know what was going on, but I can see it now looking back. I'm like, oh, I think that was actually a concerted effort to shut us up as a whole. But the vitriol has calmed down significantly. So I don't know what's up with that. But I feel like either people were freaking out and have, are done freaking out, or maybe people, hopefully, I'm hoping are coming around. I hope that people They're are learning. starting to see that there's some, yeah, yeah, there's something to what we're all saying here. So yeah, it's been a wild ride. I don't know. I feel like I'm 10 years older, though. I'm not going to lie. I, <laughs> I look in the mirror. And I'm like, what happened? <laughs> we're proud of you, though, fighting the good fight. So I will not back down. I am a scrapper. Like I yeah, am that kid. I can see that. I, yeah, my dad taught me to fist fight when I was a kid to defend myself. And I will. I have been in many fist fights as a kid. And then somewhere around 12 or 13, as a woman, you're not allowed to fight anymore with your hands. You have to start <laughs> fighting with your words. And so I'm yeah. good. And I grew up in Southern California, where like the meanest girls live. So I am, people don't know when they start with me, I'm just like, Oh honey, you, you have no idea. what you're <laughs> <into."> <laughs> I am, And you're still posting highbrow memes. So, you know, we, we know you're still fighting, so that's good. <laughs> well, I had to make the meme account because it, it's the only way I can stay sane is it's the only way I can say what I want to say without saying the words. It's yeah, it's been a navigation. I'm learning, but I watch a lot of leadership shows. I watch a lot of I, anything I can get my hands on that talks about history or leadership, I try to watch because I think that we can learn a lot from history. And like Game of Thrones, I, I know that's not actual history, um, but I think it's a great show. If you guys have you guys watched that? Yeah, it's a it's a sore spot because uh, my wife got me invested in it and I loved it. And then that last season came and it was just like they just they threw it all away. They just wanted to end <sighs> it real quick. Yeah. And, and it hurt my heart. It still hurts to this day. It's a good, it's a good play on human psychology. And like, I, I get where you're going with and leadership and like where they, yes. where different mm-hmm. leaders failed and where they shined, you know, and where they messed it up. But I, I think that's a good one. I think the show Vikings is another good one to show, like, especially yeah. the long game. I think that's what people don't get is, and not to go off tangent, but I'm such a fan of that concept of the long game. So I always looked at my practice clinically as like the long game, like financially and success wise, what's the long game for my patients? What's the long game? Like give them the reality of the situation and the long game when you start therapy so that they know what they're in for. Um, and I, and I taught that to my coaching clients as well, when it comes to business or growth in the online space, like it's the long game. And so you may be cranking out content today, but you're going to reap the benefits of it a year, two years, five years later. So I think that we're also not looking at the long game of this pandemic at all. And that's really what concerns me the most is what's the fallout going to be. We're not even touching on that right now. We're still in crisis mode and the fallout from the young people being masked and being taken out of school and the psychosis that's going to show itself from all this hypoxia, this chronic hypoxia, like no one is talking about this. And I think that for me, that we're just being locked down. Right. 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 I know. And now we're being held, held hostage. I mean, lockdowns don't work. I found literature on that early on and I tried to say something about it on Instagram. People flipped out on me and I could see why if you bought into a lie and you've participated in the crushing of an economy and the crushing of the human spirit, and you're complicit with it, and then you're therefore responsible. And so I can see why people don't want to admit that maybe these, these uh, strategies did not work. But and you guys don't have to hold that, that opinion, but I hold that opinion. And I feel like we are now being held hostage, like our governor here, Kate Brown just said, until 70% of the adults are vaccinated, we're not letting you out. And Trudeau just said that across Canada. And it's the same thing in um, Pennsylvania, I believe, in Michigan, I believe. So we're a lot of us are being held hostage to tyranny for the sake of a therapy that we don't even, we're not seeing, you know, efficacy is different than effectiveness. And we don't know the effectiveness of this. So it's, yeah, to not, you know, not to not get on that topic, but like, it, 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 this plan is not working. <laughs> the whole plan is not. So you, can, you can go to Florida and, uh, you know, hang out at a concert without a mask. So it's, it's, it's not like we don't have data from different, uh, samples, uh, samples, you know what I mean? I mean, come on. Yeah. We're here in Texas and it's landed the free right now. There's, they had, uh, the opening day for the, the Texas Rangers for baseball. And I think that was full, fully packed stadium this weekend here in Houston, they have the UFCs here. So they've had a lot of big gatherings and we've not had these, um, you know, surges and numbers or anything after, you know, or, or super spreader events like they call, call them. So, but to, 
to go back and touch on some of the things that you were speaking about, like the thing with, um, uh, with the lockdowns. So I think Ivor Cummins is a great person that always puts out a lot of great information about the data and he's a very analytical mind and he just comes just straight facts and just shows all the different graphs on the lockdowns just didn't work. And they, they, to this day are still not working. Um, but he's somebody that we really follow and we, and we, we stand by what you say as well. We, we, we believe the lockdowns are an ineffective strategy. It's it's they could have went about it a different way. Maybe just really focused on the the people most at risk, right? The elderly, the immune compromised, all these people. Or the twenty five percent that that couldn't get you know the means to help themselves, right? Why not focus on those people? Right. Yeah. yeah help the people who need help. I think it, it, all lockdowns have done is just drug out the let it rip. You know, everyone's like, well, what's your solution, Tina? Just let it rip. I'm like, no, it's not. But that's what we're doing. We're like slow-mo. I tried to say that from the beginning. I really thought common sense would kick in. I tried to explain herd immunity to people online. That was a bad idea. And like 400 words in this post, try to explain something that complicated. But I, it's crazy to me. Well, so in Oregon, and she said this as well, our governor said, well, not enough people are immune to it, so we can't let you out. And I'm like, that's because you locked us down too early and too hard. Yeah. If you lock and you can't lock down a democratic society, <laughs> you, right. you can't do this sort of halfway thing. And so there's never going to be COVID zero. And I think some states and some countries are going for COVID zero. And there's no such thing as COVID zero unless you live on an island. But unfortunately, those islands, what part of variants do people not get? Like, why are they blaming, first of all, the variants on the non-vaxxed? Let's like variants emerge when you put a roadblock up and the virus will get around it because viruses are going to virus and they're going to get around. And so they're going to figure out a way around no matter what, because they need a host to jump onto. They're not trying to kill their host. It's us. It's our shitty immune systems and our shitty body, basically like our bodies that are so inflamed that are killing people. It's not the virus. The virus wants to have its host live and proliferate it and let it spread. And so we locked everybody down and nobody got any exposure. And now we have to stay locked down because of it, but we're surrounded by open borders. Like this is never going to work. This doesn't make any sense to me. And variants will get through the minute a variant hits New Zealand or Australia. And it starts, it's going to, it's going to rip through there eventually. And you know, we, when you put a roadblock up like a vaccine, that's when you start to get stronger and more stealthily variants, not the non-vaccinated. We're rocking it through our systems. When it goes through a human immune system, it gets kinder and gentler. You know, it starts, <laughs> it's, it needs to get through a lot of us. Coronaviruses don't do that as readily as the flu virus I've learned, but it will eventually chill out if we let it move and we protect. Unfortunately, our country's so full of it. Uh, aside from the elderly, like our country is full of I mean, how would we protect 80% of the population? The po Absolutely. You know, maybe in Texas, they're healthier, but in general, humans on, in America are so no, no. inflamed. Absolutely. <laughs> Everything's bigger in Texas. I think it goes back to the belief that, you know, we, I think we could all agree here too, that, you know, we empower the patients. And if, if you have a healthy body, it, it will do the work. It yeah. will do the work. And you look at the narrative in the media and, I'm not going to touch on conspiracies, but you all, it makes you wonder they could, they're adding to the fear and who's benefiting from this, right? Like, what are we doing right now? Yeah. So it's the long game. You know, if you look at it, the long game, it adds up. Um, I like looking at that long game. It adds up. It's like, okay, this is definitely not going to work. Yeah. And it's bad right now. So we need to do something different. Yeah. And, and when you try to say that to the, to the general public who, you know, maybe getting all sources of uh, information from the other media, they give you pushback, right? They're like, a, people are offended to hear that they need to take care of themselves. And I think they're offended that they have, uh, that they're wrong, that they might be wrong. And so they were, they're going to stand their ground no matter what. And then I think too, so many people's lives are lacking purpose and lacking well, purpose. I mean, as the main word, and this gave them purpose wearing masks, being afraid, being in the, you know, being for the good of all, being part of something. I think for the first time ever, at least I've seen it with some people I know personally, for the first time ever, they felt like they were part of something important by right. really, really doubling down on these masks and doubling down on the whole narrative. 
And that was, that became their purpose. And so they're just, they're married to it at this point. And then the fear conditioning of like the amygdala and limbic system happens so quickly that happens in a matter of weeks. And so they had us by June. The ticker. Yeah. The ticker all on the screen constantly. Yeah. The ticker. They had us by and June. If you, you know, you look at the data, you see how survivable the disease is or how mild the symptoms are. And I'm not, you know, again, being insensitive for those who might have had a a really bad reaction to the virus. Maybe they're sicker to begin with, but it's not, it's not something that we need to watch a ticker for death tolls 24 hours a day. No, no. And the cases, you know, and we don't even have to get into how flawed PCR testing and the cycle thresholds are, but I, I couldn't even get into that on Instagram without people flipping out. And again, it was like, I don't, I can't teach the lowest common denominator. I love my Instagram followers, but I can't teach. I can't keep repeating like the kindergarten version all the time. I have to take the rest of the group up. (laughs) I'm trying to teach them at a higher level. And so I just didn't want to sit there and like have all my energy sucked up by arguing over PCR and cycle thresholds with people who like hadn't graduated from high school, you know, like Chad from who got his GED wants to sit there and argue with me. And I'm like, I don't have bandwidth for this, so I'm not going to do it. But, but that well, all we have is cases. And I, and the whole time I'm like, you guys, cases are good. The fact that we have this yeah. many cases and this many people surviving is great news. That means that we're hitting a wonderful level of natural immunity and nobody wanted to hear that. They just, and they, they couldn't put the math together and they were so fear conditioned. I think they've been fear conditioning us though, since like, well, our whole lives. Remember nuclear? Oh my gosh, it was like to yeah, get under absolutely. the desk in case the nuclear bomb hit when we were kids. And then there was 9-11. And every time you walked in the airport, there was that big dial, at least at PDX, there was this big, big dial that was like terror, terror threat today. And it would be in the orange. And I'm like, it's 10 years later. We are 10 years past 9-11. And they're still in the orange. And there's still the big thing in the middle of the airport to make you scared before you get on your plane. And so... I don't know. I mean, to me, I've been aware of that my whole life and I just call bullshit on it. And so to me, a lot of this has been, what's the fear, con- what's, the, what's the long game of all this fear conditioning? Why are they trying to get people into such? And so then when, the, when people get into that state and it goes into that limbic am- amygdala and then there's the dopamine hits they get. So they got to watch the news, right? They got to watch yeah. that ticker. Oh, man. They got to keep yeah. getting their dopamine hits because their lives otherwise don't have purpose. Right. So on the on the topic of of stress and fear, we started off the uh, docu series um, with Emily Fletcher discussing meditation and stress management, and most of our guests always come to the point of discussing stress management. So how is it that you, Dr. Tina, are mitigating your stresses? Like, are you doing breath work? Do you do journaling? Do you do meditation? What is it that you do? <sighs> I like to go wander. I think that's why winter was so hard. I really like to go wander around. So I like to go wander around on the property or if I lived in the city, I would go wander around. I like to wander. So walking, I guess is what it is, but I just kind of wander and look at things. Um, I'm not great at meditating because I'm not very good at sitting still. (laughs) So I try to move through meditation. I try to do movement. So I like, I love to lift weights. I lift weights two to three times a week and I like to do rhythmic things like swings, kettlebell swings. All of it's very rhythmic to me. So that calms me down. Um, Spending time with my dog, sleeping, making sure I get my sleep dialed. I turn, huge, I turn into a mess if I get less than eight hours of sleep. I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm erupted. Did you track your sleep? I did, but that was giving me a complex. Anxiety? Yeah, <laughs> it was bumming me out. Like my aura ring kept shaming me and my whoop kept telling me I was <laughs> awesome. And I was like, you guys are just freaking me out. So yeah. I, I'm going to take that off. And I go to bed. My, my fiance is like a we live out on a farm, so we don't have any light or noise pollution. And he is a champion sleeper. Like that guy is down by nine and wakes up at five thirty, happy, like a little kid. <laughs> so no. that's been it's really messy. great. Um, I don't ever watch, we watch shows like we'll stream shows, but I haven't had a television on in my house until I met him to watch when we watch shows together. I hadn't had a TV on in years. So I don't watch the news ever. I don't want to know. And I choose the news. I, go looking for. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you notice a change? Did you notice a change when you moved out of the city to your farm? Yes. That was just huge. Being, being in nature more or, um, I, for me, I'm very empathic and I have a weird clairvoyance where I can kind of hear other people's emotions. If you will, I can smell their fear like a shark. And so I can't Oof. stand being around it. And I, I had always lived in cul-de-sacs or apartment buildings or in neighborhoods and I, that were densely populated. And I always thought that it was me. I thought I was going crazy. And then when I got out here after about two weeks out here, I realized 
it was all the energy I was picking up on. And I was picking up and then when I drive into town now, when I drive in to see my family in Portland, I'm about an hour and a half outside of Portland. As I approach, you know, the cities get, the suburbs get a little bigger as we go in and I can literally feel the fear mounting as I approach the city. And by the time I get to Portland, I have to do breathing exercises when I'm driving because I'm about to have a panic attack because I can feel it is like a dark cloud has encompassed Portland. And it's a, it's really turned. That's the other piece of this whole thing that I've been watching play out. I'm, I've literally watched Antifa take over my city. I mean, they are holding people with guns in the middle of the street. I mean, it's happening and nobody wants to talk about it. And whenever we see anything on the news, it's always played down. It's always described as something different. But the bottom line for anyone who lives in Portland, who's been witnessing it and seeing it is, I mean, there's homelessness, there's syringes everywhere, there's graffiti and tent cities everywhere, all up and down the freeways. I mean, the whole city is just it's crumbling. And now we're under tyrannical rule from a governor and we're also being held hostage. I mean, you can't do anything in Portland without actually being afraid of getting attacked by Antifa. Like you can't hold, that's why we don't have any rallies there because any rallies that are in Portland that don't meet that narrative are met with violence at this point. And so, you know, I mean, they are literally torching giant stores and breaking into government buildings and burning them. So it's, and I'm sorry to call it what it is, but that's what it is. And so I I watched the city I grew up in, like I was a punk rock girl in Portland. I love my city so much and I love the music scene and I loved it. So that, that was like a huge heartbreak for me. First place of grunge rock, right? I mean, pretty much. I mean, the North, I was 17, 16, 17 when that whole scene hit. And so it was so huge. Like it was coming out of Seattle and I was like going to the clubs for $5 and seeing, you know, Soundgarden and huge bands and to see my city turn out like this, just, I think that's what happened in December. I, I really got depressed in December and I was like, my city's gone and I don't know if it's ever coming back. And then to see it, I couldn't even talk about it. If I mentioned riots instead of peaceful protests, I got viciously attacked online. And I was like, dude, you don't live here. You don't see what I'm seeing. It's, it's heartbreaking. And I, I'm not, I'm actually a very solid moderate. I'm not politically inclined either way. I, I, my parents are conservatives with a logical kind of liberal slant. And then I was in a very liberal city. I was raised in a very liberal city in a very liberal profession and almost socialist profession, if you will. And with these very, cons- you know, we're not very, but with these conservative parents, so I'm like a conservative liberal. And so I've just been watching it from both sides, like just watching the insanity. And how did that ties? The reason I'm saying this is because it ties into everything. Like if you're, if you think masks are not as effective as everyone's claiming, you're suddenly anti-masker and you must be a right winger. And if you, right. and if you want to just question the data out about the vaccines, then you're automatically an anti-vaxxer and you must be a crazy right winger. And if you, you know, you just get clumped on either side. <laughs> and I, yep. How did we politicize a virus? So let me ask you a question. Have you, have you had a lot of people throughout the course of the narrative in this year come back to you and say, Hey, I appreciate what you were putting out there. I, I now see, see your point of view or did they describe like, Oh, I saw this and now I'm a believer or I've changed my mind. Like, how has that been for you? I've had a decent amount of followers tell me that my content really freaked them out and pissed them off in the beginning, but that they stayed because they were grownups and we all have the grown up ability to manage our emotions, hopefully. And they stayed and they took heed and they've, I've got, I mean, I think cumulatively the people who followed me from the beginning have lost thousands and thousands of pounds. I get messages almost every day from people who've lost 30, 50, 70 pounds at this point from lifting weights and walking and cutting sugar and going to sleep. Like that was it. (laughs) It You know, like basics. I didn't, it's always the simple advice that works. I didn't launch any weight loss. I could have probably made a million dollars by now selling weight loss, but I didn't. I was just like, go for walks, lift heavy things, go to sleep on time, cut sugar. And that's all right. Like not much more than that. I mean, there, there are nuances, but it can be that simple. So I think that a lot of those people have come back showing a lot of gratitude and just being awesome. But as far as my colleagues go, I got viciously attacked by a few of my colleagues in the beginning. And I don't, um, I don't think that they're ever going to change their minds. I think they're completely sold on this narrative. So you were speaking about, um, 
the the weight loss. And I think uh, I saw recent stats that it was like the average person last year gained 20 pounds and the average millennial was like 40 pounds, somewhere, somewhere around there, um, which is just staggering, right? And so if you were able to either maintain your weight or lose weight, that's phenomenal. Uh, and we tell people just the same simple advice and it's just very basic things to really lose weight. And I think as uh, Dr. Ben Bickman does it really elegantly discussed about, you know, uh, about changing your metabolics and you can change, you can see changes within about 14 days. So these people that are arguing like, oh, you know, you need all these years. It's like, no, you just have to make some simple changes to start starting the ball rolling. And if you would have started the ball rolling, Last year, by now, you would have had a bunch of micro wins and a micro changes that led to a very large change. So, um, so there's there's no excuses. So one of the other things that you had touched on, I think, uh, right at the beginning when you were um, discussing your uh, um, definition of immunity, and you were talking about hormesis. So uh, we know there's chemical hormesis and there's um, environmental hormesis. So what are the type of hormetic activities that you partake to improve your immunity? I love, and just for the listeners, we should probably describe hormesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, and you, I'd love to hear you guys' definition. I, I think of it as small incremental doses of stress that ultimately make the organism respond favorably so that you end up stronger in the end. And that's, I mean, that's how I look at it. What do you guys? Wait, look at it too. It's a very simple definition. Just, just micro doses of either a chemical stress or a physical stress that make you stronger and make you better. Yeah, at the very basis, right? Yeah. So Instagram is hormetic <laughs> for me. <laughs> <laughs> if I manage it, yeah, right. it is. <laughs> it's not a stress from Instagram. <laughs> I have to manage it right. Uh, I I do think that I do think that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So I. I feel like I, again, I feel like I kind of trained up for this year on Instagram, but the other sources of hormesis I love are strength training for sure, because you womp your central nervous system and then you rest, right? And the magic is in the rest. I always, I always think of that as the magic is truly in the rest. And so the refeed and the rest is where you're going to get all the growth and wonderful, wonderfulness of what you just did. And then I... I don't, it's easy for me to push too far. I think my adrenal glands are like little piles of ash upon my kidneys at this point. And so I try not to go too hard. It's easy for me to overtrain myself and get myself kind of in the downward spiral of pain. Usually for me, it presents as pain and fatigue and and just kind of emotional dysregulation. So that is always my goal is to just hit it hard enough, but not too hard. And then I think of, gosh, you know, just learning to, deal with what's happening and learning to back away when you need to and not engaging it in a addictive way, right? Like, so, okay, yeah, like I, I have to look at the reality of what's happening every morning when I wake up and I do seek out the news and I look for what I, I don't watch the news on TV, but like I read different articles and I can right. let it really bother me, but I have to take it in because I have to know what's going on. And then I have to walk away. And I usually go for a walk and try to off gas it. So I always think of myself as off gassing my stress. My fiance and I were talking this morning and saying how sad we were for people who work desk jobs in cubicles under fluorescent lights who punch a time clock because there's no off gassing of that stress physically. And at least with the right. work you guys do in your practice and what I do, there's some physicality to it. You know, he's a blue collar guy, so there's a lot of physicality to his work. And there's a lot of off gassing of whatever stress may come. And so it, to me, it's just important to move. So that might be like dancing to a song. I dance all the time. <laughs> I, I literally am like wiggling all the time and I do move a lot. And I think that that could, I was called hyperkinetic as a kid, which is a nicer <laughs> way of saying ADD now, but they actually, yeah. they actually just said, put her in a lot of sports and don't feed her any white foods. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Right. Sound advice. <laughs> Logic. <laughs> it works for you too. Like, look, I mean. common sense. So I do try to just kind of move and off gas, whatever stresses I move it through me. I think of Qigong. Do you, have you guys ever done Qigong? I've not. Okay. Have you? No, I have not, but, but I've, I've read about it and it's uh, a lot of people really like it. You'd like it. I don't really know how to yeah. do it. I just know what I learned in naturopathic school. Cause we had to do Chinese medicine as well to some degree, Chinese medicine, but you just kind of move energy through. You could probably find a video on YouTube and just even one minute of it of like, there's one move where you punch and then you grab the energy and you pull it through and you punch and you know, there's, there's like twisting ones and bouncing ones, but it's a great, is it similar to Tai Chi? I don't know. I've never done Tai Chi. I feel like Tai Chi is like slow, methodic movements where Qigong is just kind of 
it can be really bounce. In fact, there's one where you literally just bounce for like 30 minutes. That's another thing I do. I put on music and I bounce. I'll just shake. Like I'll just bounce in a Qigong way up and down, not with my feet off the floor, but my feet are planted and I'm just kind of vibrating, letting it move through me. So I guess, I don't know if that's answers the question of hormesis, but that's how I off gas my stress. Think about mammals. If you, have you ever seen a mammal that is in like after a mammal, like say an animal chases another animal, one of the two of them will often lay down and start shaking. Mm-hmm. It's just a off gassing of the nervous system. And so I kind of do, I just think of that. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go ahead and call myself out. I'm also hyperkinetic. <laughs> Dr. G would probably say that is hundred percent a good description of me, but I actually think that is our uh, walking meditation. Like that's our form of meditation. Like you probably do. I do some of my best thinking at the gym. Yeah. So gym is therapy to me. Right. So Qigong and going for a walk is, is, it means everything. Right. Yeah. I have a tough time meditating as well because I have a tough time sitting still. So yeah, (laughs) I bounce. You understand. (laughs) Yeah. I always see rep bouncing off and doing these, uh, I I guess now the term is Qigong, but I just thought he had ballistic movements. (laughs) But here this whole time he was doing therapy. (laughs) I'm meditating, bro. Leave me alone. Well, I do think that we, if we allowed, and think about children, if we allowed more children to move when they, like, I always wish there was a group that they could, they actually did this when I was a kid. Those of us who like to stand during work would be all put at one table. So all mm-hmm. the kids yeah. who liked who thought better and concentrated better standing were allowed to do that. And I was, it was not disruptive. We were usually in the back corner and we were allowed to, it depended on the class. But I remember as a child being offered that opportunity. And then in med, all through medical school, I was in the back of the room. There was usually in chiropractic college, there was a medicine ball in each class for people to sit on and, or two or three. So I'd always sit on that and bounce or I'd lean against the wall and like roll out my spine and I kicked ass in school. I got really good. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. You know, it works for you. Um, so can you tell us what's going on with you now? What, um, what, what are you up to now? We're very sad that you closed your practice because we would have loved to train with you, but we're going to figure tell that us out. What Dr. Is up to. <laughs> we're going to figure out the training. I am currently, I just launched my supplement store. So I have got 21 different formulations and with more on the way, which are all, proprietary blends that I felt strongly would help people during this pandemic for various reasons. And so some of them get your brain to work well, some of them get your brain to chill out, I kind of think in systems. So naturopathically, we're always looking to move somebody towards hormesis. We're not trying to shock the system into anything, we're trying to get the body into hormesis. And and my intention as a physician is always to get someone's instincts turned on. So I just want people to feel better, get the nutrients that they need so they can function. And uh, give them a little help in the areas that they they need it most. So that's been going quite well. And I have a private membership portal where I I uh, deep dive each month. I do a live Q&A call. I do a live webinar with Q&A and I deep dive into a subject. Yesterday, I had Dr. Carrie Jones on. I don't know if you guys follow her on Instagram, but she's like the hormone. You should if you don't. She's the hormone guru. She was on as my interviewee, a good friend of mine. And we had a, and she's a naturopathic doctor too. We had a great conversation about the immune system and hormones, which you guys, I'll, I'll get you guys that video. You guys will find it fascinating. Yeah, we would love to see that. Um, and it's a great portal. There's ex- there's resiliency. It's called Resiliency University. There's exercises in there each month. Um, I add a bunch of different extra content. And I, if there's no censorship. So I'm able to talk about what I need to. And I give everybody all the studies with, in a PDF format so they can reference them. My goal is to oh, wow, cool. really educate people so that they have talking points. That's the goal with that awesome. membership is that awesome. so people can come in and just the layman can come in and learn what they need to do each. There's probably eight webinars up now. They're all very topical and we're going to continue on, but that way they have talking points. They have literature and references so that the, if they want to go have a conversation with their loved ones or their colleagues and they can have an intelligent, educated conversation. So that's been going really well. And yeah, I'm not really, I'm writing a book. So that's fun. That's coming out soon. I've got a website coming out. I've got all kinds of fun stuff coming. So podcast, so the <laughs> new podcast, the supplements and the, and the portal that's, is, is that's your website. What is the, uh, what's the address on that? Uh, drtina.com. So D-R-T-Y-N-A.com and probably easiest to find me on Instagram. And, okay. and route as far as uh, supplements, what's the Dr. Tina stack right now? My stack? As far as it goes for immunity. What's your stack, bro? (laughs) (laughs) 
it depends. <laughs> I've got a couple of products. So I've got a nootropic product called BrainSpark, which I love. And then I've got a magazine magnesium. And I combo those right before, like I took that right before I came on here because that gets my brain going. And then I've got, I suffer from anxiety as do many people. And I have some wonderful supplements to calm people down and mitigate that. So it depends on how I'm feeling that day, to be honest with you. As far as immunity, the basics that I have, here's the funny thing. I've been dealing with chronic viral loads my whole life. So I have always been on vitamin D and vitamin C and zinc and adequate magnesium. So my vitamin D actually absorbs. And I've always taken things like quercetin as a ionophore to get the zinc in the cell. And so these are all, none of this is new information, right? But somehow this year it became novel. So I obviously hit all of those bases and then adrenal support, <laughs> gads of adrenal support <laughs> and coffee. That's pretty much what I'm on. <laughs> nice stack. Yeah, it's a nice stack. What's your guys? Oh yeah, well I think it's I think it's really cool that you take the time to empower your clients because I think society's ready for that, right? I mean, everyone is searching for information, and I think we have found that we build the most reports with a silent T with our clients when we teach them, right? They want to know, and they're ready to know. So I think that's really cool. Thank you. Um, I'll probably be a groupie of that as well because I follow you on Instagram closely. So I appreciate love what it. You're doing. I appreciate it. Yeah. And I guess I would say, um, what do you, so when people come to you, I guess this year, I'm I'm sure that at least 50% of them love what you say when they ask you what your advice is on how to protect themselves or immunity, or like, what do I do to make myself a little bit healthier outside of the obvious, which I know you're all about. And I'm all about, which is exercise. Like, is there any, are there any another non-negotiables or anything that you really adhere to? I mentioned sleep. That's a non-negotiable. I do not mess with that. And I will not mess around with people who mess with my sleep. Any, <laughs> anyone who imposes on my sleep is out. Then there is my dog. I think it's really important to have an animal companion. I'm, I'm, I've always been a big fan of having a pet and having just a non-human companion that you can talk to and vent to. I talk to her all the time. I talk to all the animals, though, when I go outside. And any way you can get out of, get away from people and get out in nature, wherever you live, just, it's easy for me to walk out the back door and be on my farm, but man, it's important to get, and just to really, for the simplest reason to know that you're connected to something bigger, right? And, and source. And I don't know if you guys are religious people. I'm not super religious. I started going to church this year though, fairly regularly. And that's helped as well. I think the community there is really important and just, you know, hearing, hearing the, just being surrounded by kindness and all, you know, other people who are hardy and also hoping to be on the side of winning and getting away from fear. I think, right. The biggest advice I would give to keep your immune system intact is to get away from those humans in your life that are invoking more and more fear, cut them off and do it quickly and do it. You don't have to be mad at them and you don't have to feel guilt about it, but they are bringing you down in a huge way. Fear tanks your immune system and blasts your immune or your inflammation up. So whatever you can do to avoid that is going to be hugely helpful. Those are huge. So shout out to Lola, the bulldog, that's Rhett's dog and Tito, the Basenji. That's my dog. So we feel the same way. You have a, so I think Sansa's part Basenji. You'll have to send me a picture. I was wondering because you were talking about that, you know, Sansa had as a line of coyote and ancient dogs. I didn't know if that was, you know, if that's what you were referring to, but yeah, we just got him about a, couple months ago is he so nice he's amazing yeah but they're they definitely do not act like dogs they're they act very very different so they're very cat-like and they're really really smart you'd love them because they're 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 free thinkers so they'll they know how to take shit they don't (laughs) take shit from anybody (laughs) they're they're lion hunters you know that's what they're bred for is the lions yeah Yeah. i think i'll send you some pics oh please do i think she is because she is a everybody who meets her is like that is a weird dog i'm like yeah i know i think she's it's got to be the (laughs) basenji and the coyote but maybe it's not basenji i really think it is she has kind of that bellow does he have a bellow yeah but they call it a baru yeah so yeah (laughs) that's awesome Well, I was going to say, Dr. Tina, all of that was damn well said. Uh, I think I'm going to quote you, if you don't mind, on virus is going to (laughs) virus. But I'm going to ask you, uh, I'll ask you on air so I can put you on the spot. We we definitely are having future podcasts 
another one on movement, uh, some on stress, mental fitness. And we'd love to have you back on because um, this was really fun. Oh, I would love that. Always. You guys, I'm so glad that we finally got to meet. This is such a treat. Yeah, absolutely. Wanted to end with one last question. And you already answered what we usually ask, like what are your non-negotiables? But I think we had already touched on this, that, you know, you grew up uh, in the Pacific Northwest during the up and coming of the grunge scene, which was just amazing. So you and I are the same. uh, You're 46, 47? Yeah, 47. So so I'm 46. I'm going to be 47. Rhett is a decade behind us, but he's a big music lover as well. I grew up on Soundgarden. Okay, yeah. don't get it twisted. So the, <laughs> the question the question to all three of us is, who was your favorite group from that era? Uh, and what was the best concert that you attended if you were able to from that era? And I'll answer for myself. So for myself, it wasn't a favorite group, but it was a favorite singer, Chris Cornell, RIP, angelic voice. Uh, and I would say the greatest concert and he's not one of my favorite um artists um but was um um now i just lost my train of thought um <laughs> my name is mud when oh, Ona's primus. big brown beaver primus yeah oh, primus, primus. Yeah. i just lost my train of thought i was trying <laughs> to think of, i was trying to think of his uh i'm impressed what, what's what's best. what's the lead singer's name oh um, just, oh gosh i can't think of it right now but he just hammers away on the yeah, bass. Yeah. But that was mind blowing. Another one was Tool. Oh, Tool. Those, those yeah. were mind blowing. And uh, yeah, so that's my answers. Do you guys remember Toadies? Les Claypool. Oh, Toadies. I yeah, I like the Toadies. Oh, yeah, Les Claypool. Toadies, yeah. yeah. Toadies is like a close second to me. But I, when I saw Red Hot Chili Peppers and the Foo Fighters combination Ooh. concert, where is that? I, I, that was in Illinois. I graduated high school outside of Chicago, and that was amazing. Wow. In fact, uh, well, David Grohl, Dave Grohl threw drum sticks from the the uh, stage to the back of the stadium until the drummer in the back of the stadium caught it. Like we, we I saw him throw like two hundred drum sticks. We sat. I was like, okay, is this you guys going to play again? Or uh, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> awesome, awesome. That's amazing. Uh, okay, so my favorite band from that I, I have to say local was Soundgarden for sure. Yeah. I used to stay yeah. up every Saturday night watching. Uh, Headbangers Ball, and it was on from noon oh, till yeah. three p or three a.m. And then every Sunday yeah. night, I'd stay up watching one hundred and twenty minutes. So, like, I destroyed my circadian rhythm in high school because. Of <laughs> 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 but did you know yesterday? I did you guys see it in my stories? Yesterday was the thirty. Well, in nineteen ninety, on this day yesterday, um, Soundgarden's first album came out. Yeah, I was. Oh wow! And I think today is the anniversary of his death, or it's coming up in a few days. Anyway, yeah, yes. I'm a huge mm-hmm. Soundgarden fan. My favorite concert from that time, though, I have to say, was Nine Inch Nails and Thrillco Cult played at a little venue called La Luna, which is where I first saw like all these bands in this tiny little venue. And that Nine Inch Nails show that year, they played. It was there. It was for the Downward Spiral, and so they were playing huge arenas at that point, like huge arenas, and like doing Woodstock. And for some reason, when they came through Portland, they played this tiny little venue. They didn't play the big. Memorial Coliseum that we had. And so I got to see them like front row, front and center during that tour. That was amazing. And I've never missed a Nine Inch Nails concert ever, except this morning I went online to buy presale for the Nine Inch Nails show in September in Ohio. And I missed the presale by an hour. I don't know why I had it wrong in my calendar and I missed the presale. So this morning before I got on this podcast, I was about to have a panic attack. (laughs) 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 Because I was like, I didn't get my freaking Nine Inch Nails tickets. They they go on sale to the public on Friday and I know God is in my favor and I will get my Nine Inch Nails tickets. (laughs) Yeah, I I got to see them at Woodstock and that was pretty mind blowing too. You saw that. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. The last thing we want to do is get between you and Nine Inch Nails. So, um, like I said, we appreciate you coming on. <laughs> <laughs> this is so fun, you guys. I really appreciate you having me on. Cool. Yeah, cool. Well, well, thank you, Dr. Tina. And uh, like I said, you already said it on air. So we want you to come back for more podcasts because you're uh, you're amazing to speak with. For sure. Thank you. And we will do some uh, we'll do some training in the Prolo Land. We'll figure it out. Yeah, we're gonna hold you to that as well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> need to make sure the lawyers are happy and 
make sure that this information is clear for everyone. So please bear with me. But the information on this podcast is for general informational purposes only. The statements and views expressed does not constitute a practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional health care services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The Peak Health Unlocked podcast disclaims any responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of the information contained herein. Opinions and views of the guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for any statements made by guests. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their own healthcare professionals for any such conditions. If you do want to become a patient of Thrive Performance and Regenerative Medicine, please go to thrivemedicine.com to contact us and we would be happy and honored to help you unlock your peak health. Thanks so much. Have a fantastic day.